Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. If you've been attending our church for the last three months, you know we've been on a long series called Vistas. And Vistas is a series that is, uh, basically what we're doing is we're doing an overview of God's story through the Bible, the big picture. And we've talked about a lot of different things, and we're going to continue that. And this week, we're going to end the Old Testament. We're going to finish with the Old Testament. And our message today, my message today, is on the exile. It's called Exile, Hoping while we wait to find our true home. And we're going to be talking about that particular season and time in the Bible that theologians and scholars call the exile, when the nation of Israel was taken away, people were taken away into Babylon as captives, and what God did and how He worked through that particular event. But before we do that, I want to review quickly where we've been. First of all, in week one, we learned that God created a beautiful universe and a beautiful paradise, and later we learn that we chose death and fell into corruption and death, and that's what we call sin. And then God revealed His plan, and that plan is called the promise, and He revealed it through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And out of Jacob's 12 sons came a nation called Israel, and that nation of, that that, those 12 sons became 70, and those 70 went down into Egypt. And they were there for 430 years. And while they were there, they became slaves of Pharaoh and Egypt. And then God liberated them, brought them out through Moses with miracles and signs and wonders. And they were brought out of Egypt and eventually into a land of their own called the Promised Land. And there in the Promised Land, they decided they wanted a king like all the other nations. And so they they had a kingdom and they had kings. But unfortunately, all these kings, just like leaders today, were not faithful to God and didn't follow through and became power hungry and worshipped false gods and led the nation wrong. And eventually, they suffered for it. After that, Pastor Noah shared a great message on the wisdom literature of the Bible and the story of Job in particular. And then last week, we learned about the prophets about how God sent messengers, and these prophets called out to the people continually, called out to Israel continually to forsake their sin and turn from their false gods and to turn to the true and living God. And this week we're going to find out that they didn't listen, that this nation who regularly heard from God through prophets who warned them of the destruction uh, that was to come, that, that warned them that destruction would come because of their sin, these people, this nation did not turn, but rather they continued to worship false gods, and because of it, they were taken away into exile. And yet, I'm going to share with you that in the midst of exile, there is a message of hope. And we're going to talk about that hope today. We're going to talk about what it is to have hope for a true homeland in our exile, and that 
that homeland is not a place, it's not a job, it's not a relationship with a person. The homeland we're all looking for is a person, and that person is God himself. He's our homeland, amen? Before we actually get into the message, though, I have a great video I want to show you from the Bible Project because it really, really captures the idea of exile. So pay close attention and watch this video. There's something about being home, where everything's just right. We're surrounded by people we love and trust. There's a feeling of stability and safety. And while some people get to experience this kind of home, many do not. Others might even be forced to leave their home and go live in a foreign land. We call this going into exile. Yeah, in exile, everything is disoriented. You're in the unknown. And in the story of the Bible, this is where the ancient Israelites found themselves conquered by Babylon, living in exile far from their homeland. And so they had to ask themselves, how did we end up here, and is there any hope of going home? And the whole story of the Bible is designed to address those very questions. The whole story? Really? Yeah, go back to the first pages of the Bible. Where does humanity live? Okay, they live in this really sweet garden, their home. And they're there on one condition, that they trust and follow God's one command, and they don't. And so the consequence is banishment from the garden. Ah, they're sent into exile. Exactly. And so this story has been designed to set you up for Israel's story, how they were given the gift of the promised land and were able to stay there on one condition, that they be faithful to the terms of their covenant relationship with God. Uh, they didn't, and they were sent into exile. And if you still don't see the parallel between exile from the garden and exile from Israel, think about this. In Genesis, humanity's exile led up to the story about the building of what city? Oh yeah, Babylon. The same place the Israelites are sent. But that's not the end of either story. In the first Babylon, God called Abraham to leave and travel to the Promised Land. And that story was designed to give hope to the Israelites currently living in the later Babylon. Now eventually, they do get to leave and travel back to their promised homeland. And when they did? It wasn't home sweet home. Oppressive empires were still ruling over them, and the people kept acting in the same corrupt ways as their ancestors. And so the biblical prophets said that exile wasn't actually over. How could they think they were still in exile when they're at home? Yeah, this is really important. In the Hebrew scriptures, Israel's Babylonian exile became an image of something more universal. It's that feeling of alienation and longing for something more, no matter where you live. Yeah, I, I can relate to this. I have a great home, but it's situated in a world scarred with pain and broken relationships, death, tragedy, done by others, but also done by me. And so in the Bible, exile is the human condition. We all keep repeating this pattern of human corruption leading to a Babylon that we can't escape. And it doesn't matter where you live, we are all longing for a better home. Now Israel's scriptures held out hope that one day God would send a king who would rescue the world from all of the Babylons we've created. And after many generations pass, we meet this Israelite named Jesus of Nazareth. He wandered about with no home, announcing the great restoration, that reality of home that Israel and all humanity has been looking for. Yeah, Jesus really cared about people who didn't have homes. 
he welcomed in the stranger. He said God's love is shown when you invite in the outcast and throw parties for people who don't have a place to belong. Jesus also claimed that Israel and all humanity had lost its way, that our self-centeredness drives us to create false homes based on status and power, and these inevitably exclude others. We live in an exile of our own making. But Jesus said the true way home is one of weakness, of service, and of forgiveness. And then Jesus went into exile alongside us to show us the true way home. Which is? Well, Jesus said he is the way. His life and self-giving love proved more powerful than humanity's failure. He opened up a pathway to our real home. And as Jesus' followers committed themselves to him, they discovered this new way of being human. They believed that the real return from exile had begun. And so they would call themselves sojourners or wanderers. Oh, right. They would say things like, the world isn't our home and we're citizens of heaven. And so Jesus' followers remain exiles as they wait for that day when Jesus returns to transform this world into a true home. Amen. Isn't that a powerful video? So what I want to do today is I want to start with a text of Scripture that many of you are familiar with, and I want to show you the text within the context. Now, I want to say right off the bat that not long ago, I preached on Jeremiah 29. And uh, as I was preparing this sermon today for the exile, I kept coming back to that section of Scripture. And many of you probably have over the years had a plaque or a shirt or something that shared Jeremiah 29.11. Any of you have a, a plaque in your home or something like that that has Jeremiah 29.11? There it is, right? And what I want to show you today is that there's a lot more to the story than what we read in Jeremiah 29.11. But to start, let's read it out loud, and I'm going to put it up here on the screen. So um, I need you to take in a breath and read it out from the heart, Amen. Come on, let's read the scripture together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Uh, let's start over. That was just weak. Okay, let's, let's try it again. One more time. Here we go. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Amen. That's a good word, right? In this case, welfare is not a government program. It means God wants to make sure you're taken care of, okay? I just want to be clear on that. But we want to talk about the exile. What is the exile? What does it mean to be exiled, and where do we find it in the Bible? First, let's define it. In the Webster's Dictionary, exile is the state of being barred from one's native country, typically for political or punitive reasons. A person who lives away from their native country, either from choice or compulsion, the Dictionary of Biblical Themes says this about exile. The exile is a period of absence from one's homeland, often imposed as a form of punishment. The Old Testament regards Israel's exile into Babylon as a form of divine punishment for past sin and as an opportunity for renewal and rededication. When we look in the Bible and you read through the Bible, these are the books that are either written during the exile or what is known as the post-exile time, the post-exilic time. And these are the books of Daniel, Esther, parts of Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, 
Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They were all written either during the exile or after the exile. And they're a very important part of the entire biblical story because they show us the human condition, our tendency to put ourselves in positions where we're alienated from God and how God intervened on our behalf and brought us back and restored us. So the first thing I want us to see about Israel's exile is that God exiled His people because they broke His covenant. Now let's define a covenant. How many of you in this room are married? Okay, hold your hand up for a minute. You are in a covenant, right? When you stood either before a justice of the peace or a pastor or a priest and you gave your vows to one another, you made vows to one another, and you heard a message about marriage, and you exchanged rings, and you said that you would love each other and be faithful to one another, and then you left that place, and you consummated your marriage in the marriage bed, and you began a journey together to build a life and build a family together, you entered into a covenant. And a covenant is our way of saying we pledge ourselves to one another in the sight of God. Well, God made a covenant with His people. In fact, He made multiple covenants. But when you put all the covenants together, they're one growing, progressing idea. And that covenant was, I'm God speaking, I'm committed to you, and I'm going to stay with you. He, he, he said it, He spoke covenants to uh, Adam and Eve. He spoke to Noah. He spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He spoke covenants to David. He spoke all through the Old Testament, these different covenants that said to his people, I'm committed to you, and your part is this. Keep my laws and my commandments, and when you break them, take advantage of the sacrificial system I put in place so that you may be forgiven and reconciled to me. So God said this, I'm committed to you. This is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you leaders after my own heart. I'm going to bless you in your agriculture, in all of your industry, in your relationships. I'm going to bless your homes and your marriages. If you follow me, I will bless you, and I'll lift you up as a nation, Israel, above all the other nations of the earth. You'll be the head and not the tail, the above only and not the beneath. But listen, if you break my covenants, if you forsake me and worship false gods, and you go after the those demon gods, bad things are going to happen. I'm going to open the doors and let your enemies come in and they're going to spoil you and take advantage of you. You're going to experience my love for you in my discipline. And so that's the story of the Bible. Over and over again, God speaks his covenant to his people over and over again. They forsake the covenant, walk away from him, and it's the story of God pursuing them and wooing them and trying to draw them back to a right relationship with himself. Well, eventually, these people went so far away from God that they not only worshipped false gods, but that they sacrificed their own children on altars to demon gods. And not only did they sacrifice their children, but they burned their children to false gods while people sang and rejoiced to cover up the noise. That's how bad, that's how dark, that's how deep into demonic evil 
the nation went. And finally God, after sending prophet after prophet after prophet, pleading with the people, turn away from that. Stop doing that. Come back to me. You'll find your true identity in loving me and knowing me and walking with me after doing that over and over again. And the people saying, no, we want to worship idols. We want to go our own way. God finally said, okay. And he removed all of his protections and he moved on Babylon and Assyria and he said, do what you're going to do. And so we see the fulfillment of this, the fruition of this in Jeremiah 52, verses 3 through 6, as Babylon invaded, conquered, and destroyed Jerusalem. And I want you to notice in the text of Scripture what it says. It says, these things happened because of the Lord's anger against the people of Jerusalem and Judah until He finally banished them from His presence and sent them into exile. Zedekiah, he was their king, rebelled against the king of Babylon. So on January 15th, during the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon led his entire army against Jerusalem. They surrounded the city and built siege ramps against its walls. Jerusalem was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah's reign. But by July 18th, in the 11th year, two years of siege went on of Zedekiah's reign. The famine in the city had become very severe, and the last of the food was entirely gone. On August 17th of that year, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard and an official of the Babylonian king, arrived in Jerusalem. He burned down the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem. He destroyed all the important buildings in the city. Then he supervised the entire Babylonian army as they tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. So the walls represented protection. The temple was the place of worship to the true God. And God said, okay, you don't want me. You don't want my protection, my blessing, my love. You want to worship false demon gods? I'll turn you over to a nation who worships false demon gods. And they'll tear down all your protections and even destroy the very temple where I come to meet you. Because you have said, we don't love you. We don't want you. We don't want to go your way. And so exile for them was the result of their own rebellion. And what we find out, and I'm not going to get into it because of time, but thousands of Jewish people were exiled and taken to Babylon. In fact, 4,600 captives were taken. And then, about 70 years later, a small remnant of about 50,000. So 4,600 went into captivity, and 70 years later, they've now grown to about 50,000 people. And those 50,000 people, that remnant, they leave Babylon, and they come back, and they get an opportunity to rebuild a small little temple and put the walls back around the city. And yet, they're still not a nation. They're still not a people. In fact, you want to hear something really sad and really interesting? Did you know that Israel was never really a sovereign nation again? until 1948. Now I want you to wrap your head around this. From the time Babylon destroyed Jerusalem until the time it was founded as a nation in 1948, 2,534 years of exile went by. Now think about the time that we live. We live in a time in history where a nation and a language that were essentially wiped off the face of the earth, a nation-state that didn't exist for 2,534 years was restored by God, and it's been restored in the time and the era that we live. That's a modern-day sign and a wonder and a miracle. Every time you turn on the news and you see that there's even a nation called Israel, you need to stand in wonder at God's faithfulness. Even though it took 2,534 years, God is faithful to restore what He said He would do. Amen. But now you say to me, 
at least I would say this, what does that have to do with my life? Well, exile is something that every human being feels or experiences at some time in their life. And you might be doing good right now and life's like you can't relate to exile at all, but I want you to think about this. Sometimes in our lives, sinful and bad decisions bring about consequences that cause horrible pain and destruction. Let's be honest. Some of you sitting in this room and all of us at some time or another, eventually in life, we're going to do some stupid stuff. Anybody ever been good at stupid? Sometimes we're going to break God's commandments and laws. We're going to wander into relationships we shouldn't have or we're going to get hooked into substances we shouldn't have or we're just going to lie and cheat and steal and put people down or we're going to engage in violent acts or we're going to be that person that gossips and tears relationships apart or we're going to be a liar or a cheat. We're going to break God's commandments. We're going to go our own way. And for a while, we think we're going to get away with it, but eventually it catches up to to you, and you end up experiencing the weight of your consequences. You end up experiencing the pain of doing evil. And let's call it what it is. It's evil. And now you are experiencing the feeling of exile. Because you lose everything during those times. You lose your relationships. You lose your home. You lose any sense of belonging. That's what happens to us. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came for exiles, people who eat the fruit of their own way. And let me tell you, the best way out of that kind of living is to quit justifying, blaming, finger-pointing, to quit making about other people and recognize, I did it, it was my stuff, I'm responsible for it, and now I'm going to own it because in owning it, I begin to get healed because then Jesus can come in and apply all that he did on the cross for your sin. Amen. But sometimes, other times, through no fault of our own, we find ourselves being exiled from our families, our workplaces, our schools, or our friendships. Exile is a deep sense of feeling out of place. Many of us feel exiled because we cannot find the ideal home or residence or family or workplace or friendships. We feel exiled because this system, this age we live in, was not what we were created for. We are, so, we are sojourners and exiles. Isn't it something that even after you get the good job and you get the good spouse and you got the kids and you got the perfect little Instagram family and it all looks great and you got money in the bank and your retirement set up, isn't it interesting that even when it all comes together and it seems like it's finally happening, you finally created your on-earth utopia. Something happens to unravel it. Or even worse, you feel bankrupt inside. You feel empty. You're like, man, the new house, the new car, the new girl, it didn't do it for me. The new guy, it didn't do it for me. Why? Because you were created to find your home in God himself. See, he's your fuel, he's your life. You see this, and I'm departing from my notes, but you see this when Jesus meets a woman at the well. He meets this woman who's a Samaritan woman. He's not even supposed to be talking to her. And he's thirsty and he asks her to draw some water for him. And she's like, why are you talking to me? I'm a woman and you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. We shouldn't be talking. And then Jesus says, you know, hey, uh, I have water to drink that if you drink it, you'll, you'll be satisfied forever. And she's like, whoa, this dude's talking to me. What's going on here? Well, I, 
you know, I don't have enough of a bucket to draw from that. And then he eventually says to her, he says, um, go fetch your husband. And she says, um, he didn't say anything. Then he says, well, because the man you're with right now is not your husband, and you've been with five men. And then she turns it into a, a whole deal about worship. And he brings it right back around to the true need of her heart, the true emptiness of her heart. And he shows her her own bankruptcy. And he shows her that what you're looking for is not a man or a relationship, but what you're looking for is God himself. And he has the water of life that will satisfy your soul. That's where we're all at. We're all exiles. We're always looking. Have you ever you know, realized about yourself that you're just never satisfied? You either got to be entertained or you got to have a new relationship or you got to be doing some kind of fun. You got to keep it going all the time. You got to keep the plates spinning. You got to keep life exciting. And when it's not, you don't know what to do with yourself. You feel a deep sense of loneliness and yearning and aching inside. And you wrongly think, I have to go out and do all this stuff to satisfy that. And what God is saying is stop. That yearning inside of you is the evidence of your lostness, your emptiness, and your need for me. I am your home. I am your satisfaction. It's what we look for our whole life. So, you and I are exiles. What do we do about it? And this is where we get into Jeremiah 29. Because God gave the captives. He gave the, ex- the exiles great counsel on what you do when you live in exile. Now, first of all, I want to make it clear as I get into this. How, how do we live in the midst of exile? First of all, a little background. Jeremiah 29 is not a verse that can be taken out of context and used to prove that everything you hope for will happen and is guaranteed by God. Jeremiah 29 is set within the larger context of God's people of Israel receiving a word of hope in the midst of their captivity in Babylon. And that's what I want to show you. And then I want to walk you through some things that will help us, hopefully. How do we live when we have that sense of exile? Jeremiah 29, 4. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Now, now I just want you to think about this. i got to stop. Here are people. Now, now, how many of you have a good holy imagination? Imagine with me for a minute, okay? All of you that live here in the States right now, imagine you're living here in this country and you're, you're enjoying the benefits of it and the fruit of it and then some bad things happen. Invaders come. Our military is weakened and we're invaded by a foreign power. And just imagine what happens, you know, a couple of cities are nuked and the U.S. bows and it's a dark season. The economy collapses. There are famines that hit the land. People begin to die left and right and here and there. And your own family's ripped apart. And, and then these invaders come in and they, they take everything from your home. They destroy and burn your home. And they take you and they put you in chains and shackles. They kill some of your children right in front of you. Or they kill your spouse in front of you. And then they take you away to a foreign country and they make a slave of you. And now you're in that foreign country and eventually they say, okay, you're here. We're going to let you be free from your slavery. And you are sitting there yearning, remembering the day that you had a home, that you had a job, 
that you ate good food, you drank good drink, you laughed with your family around the fire, you had Thanksgiving meals and Christmas meals, and, and you, you begin to realize how amazing life really was in all that you had. That's exactly what these people felt. Here they were in a foreign country with false gods, a military power, the greatest in the world at that time, and they've been captivated in that country, and they're yearning for the day they could be back in their own homes. And right there in that country, the word of the Lord comes to them, and this is what God says. He says, build houses and live in them. Why? Because prophets were telling them, you need to rise up and be revolutionaries, and you need to fight against Babylon so you can go back to your homeland. You need to leave and go back to Jerusalem, and the word of the Lord is, no, wait, settle yourself. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Do you see that? Seek the welfare of the city. Babylon! Seek the welfare of Babylon where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you to you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name I did not send them declares the Lord for thus says the Lord when 70 years are completed for Babylon I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place for I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope does that make sense now then you will call upon me. Anybody alive out there? You helping me preach today? Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Somebody go, wow. wow. Isn't that good? <laughs> Amen. Now, let's talk about it. How does that apply to our life? Let's take, let's take a 2,600-year text, old text, and let's talk about what it means to us. First of all, build, plant, and eat. What's our lesson? The pain of the past and the present and the fear of the future must not keep us bound in fear or rebellion. God's people in exile were to make the most of their situation and live as though they were the people of God. And this is, this, this is our takeaway. Quit waiting for ideal circumstances. Make the best of what's in front of you here and now. Work and live your lives. You see, some of us are just, you know, we're always waiting for the break, our ship to come in, for us to have, you know, the, the good things happen for us. We're always waiting. We're never satisfied here, now, right where we are. It's always over the horizon. We are bound to the future or bound to the past. We're like Jesus hanging on a cross between two thieves. One is the past and one is the future. And he says, no, today you will be with me in paradise. His point is simple. We must live with what we've got right now, build Plant and eat and enjoy what you've got and quit always hoping for something to be better because you have now, right now. Secondly, build your family. The second point, build the family and increase. This is not the time to fear for the future or quit planning for a multi-generational vision. Many Christians today are so afraid of the end times, climate change, terrorism, 
or world events that they're not raising up future generations. Here they were in captivity in Babylon, and yet God told them, be fruitful and multiply. You know, people will tell you, and it's weird, we live in a time when there's so many alarmists out there, and this is what the alarmists say, you need to quit having children, because the world's in a bad place. Don't have kids, because you know, humans are the problem on this planet, and what we really need to do is get rid of humans. And I want to say something, I partially agree with it. Humans are the problem on this planet, amen? I am my own worst enemy. But have you ever noticed in God's redemptive plans that humans are also the answer? Having less humans isn't the answer. We're killing the ones we have in the womb. That's not the answer. The answer isn't get rid of humans. The answer is have families. And have families because people are filled with potential. It's through people redemptive ends come. It's through people cures to cancer come. It's through people the world is changed. We can't buy the lie out of fear that, well, we, you know, it's bad. It's a bad time to bring children into the world. It's always been a bad time on this planet to bring children into the world. You think it's bad right now? If you'd lived a thousand years ago, you would have been like, what are we doing having kids right now? Because if we have ten, seven of them are going to die. That's the way it was. We have bought a lie if we believe not a, now is not a good time to have children. Now is a great time to have children. Raise them up in the ways of the Lord and turn them loose, and maybe they'll be one of the people that bring the gospel to a nation that needs it. Amen. Secondly, or thirdly, seek the peace and the blessing of God on the place you live. God loves our city, our state, our nation. He wants you and I to be a blessing conduit. Pray for its peace and its blessing. You know, there's a lot wrong with America. There's a lot wrong with Washington State. There's a lot wrong in Moses Lake. Can somebody say amen? But you know what? We need to seek the peace and the blessing of God for our home, city, state, and nation. I hear people say, you know, I hate this place. Moses Hole. It's feel like slapping him. I can't believe God brought me here. What the heck? I, why am I here? I hear people curse our city. I'm like, you understand? This is a good place. Do you know what? If you're in the will of God, you're in the best place you'll ever be. The land you were created for is the will of God. You could live in Maui, and if you're out of the will of God, you'd be miserable. And you could live in Armpit, USA. And if you're in the will of God, you'll smells good here. I like it. Do you get my point? See, the reality is God wants you to take whatever your conditions are and love it and bless it and pray for its peace. Because in its blessing is your blessing. In its welfare is your welfare. See, if my city's hurting, I'm going to hurt. If my city has the favor of God on it, I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to be a recipient of it. Why would we curse our city? Let's bless our city and ask God to rain revival down on it and cause all the churches to experience a renewal and a revival of His Spirit, an outpouring where thousands come to faith in Jesus Christ and they're turning to Him and we don't even know what to do with all the people that are coming to faith in Christ and it affects the crime rate and it causes gang life to go to the side and we find all these gang members getting saved and, and we find a, a bunch of people coming out of meth addiction and we see prostitutes coming to the altars and laying their lives down and saying, Jesus, possess my life. Come on, let's believe for it. Yeah. 
And even the hard ones, even the hard cases, you know, people that have money and everything's good and everything's going their way, those are the hardest nuts to crack. It's not the prostitute in the gutter. It's the self-righteous, self-sufficient human being that thinks they don't need God. Oh, Lord, reach even the up-and-outers. Thank you. All right. I'm almost done. Trust God's word and not what other voices are saying. You know, a lot of the false prophets were telling them to throw off the shackles of their captors, rebel, and return to Jerusalem in their own strength. God's message was wait, work, and pray until I fulfill my good, my good word. Many voices today are compelling us even to treat our political enemies. Listen carefully to this, church. To treat our political enemies, whatever side you fall on, with hate and contempt. Many voices are saying that we must be violent to the violent, hateful to the hateful, mean to the mean, and angry with the angry. I mean, if, if we don't have enough evidence in just the last week, as we've had all these mass shootings, we have people imbibing ideologies that are wicked, that place one race upon, above another, and then go out and kill people. And they think they're doing right, they think they're doing justice and goodness, and it's wicked. Let me tell you a, a reality right now. Republicans aren't your problem for those of you that are Democrats. And Democrats aren't your problem for those of you who are Republicans. And liberals and progressives aren't your issue. And conservatives aren't your issue. And Mexican-Americans or Mexican nationals are not your issue. And black people are not your issue. And white people are not your issue. And Asian people are not your issue. Let's just let's be honest. Those aren't the true enemies. Jesus Christ didn't come to divide the world into us and them. He didn't come to divide the world into we're better and they're below. Right? He came to bring people together in Christ at the cross that is built on level ground. We all come to the cross in need of a Savior. We all got the same issues. Let me tell you, the problem is not out there. The problem with human beings runs through every human heart. It's called sin. It's called the fall. That's the problem. And there's only one answer for it. And that answer is a cross that our Savior was crucified on. A Roman torture device where he took the sins of the world. He took you and I's garbage and he bore it in his own body. That's the hope of the world. That's the answer for the issue. Amen? Amen? This idea that somehow that group is your problem is a lie. There ain't no group that's the problem. The problem is being human and lost. And the only answer is the gospel. Amen. And then we, we end it with God has plans to prosper you and not harm you. He has plans to give you a hope and a future. God's hope and future begins now with whatever you're doing. God's hope and future is not necessarily for you to be famous or have great financial success. Prosper doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you're going to be cruising in the, in the car you want and living in the big house on the lake and having the great portfolio and you're going to be, you know, just cruising down the street. Yeah, look at me. I got it good. That, you know, Got the trophy wife or trophy husband, just to be equal here, right? For some of you, maybe that's going to be the plan. Maybe God's going to really prosper you financially, but for most of you, it's not. 
God's hope and future for you is built around the normal day-to-day things mentioned before. Your home, your city, your work, your family, all centered around your trust in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, God's hope and future for you is built around an eternity with Him in a universe restored and recreated perfectly for those who trust in Him. You can trust God with your future by starting with making the most of your now. Amen? And what's our response? I'm almost done. I'm really coming in for a landing. Okay, here's the response. Pray with all your heart. Seek God himself so he can reveal himself to us, listen to us, and bless us. In the midst of being surrounded by hostile forces, false religions, God told his people to pray. And he said he would hear them and reveal himself in power. He said, then you'll call on me and I'll hear you and I'll work on your behalf. Do you know it's always the right time to deepen your relationship with God? It's always the right time to turn to God. Listen, if you take nothing else from this message today, here's the one thing I want you to take away. If you devote, starting this day, and this is going to mean you change some of your priorities, you change your calendar, you do some things different, but if you devote your life to, if you make this your pursuit, I want to know God. Listen to me. I want to know God. I want to know what He's like. I want to know His character. I want to get close to Him. I want to learn what it means to pray. I want to understand, you know, the scripture. I want, to, I want to dig into God. If you make that your number one pursuit, all the other stuff will start to fall into place. You say, yeah, but, yeah, but, no, 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 not yeah, but. Those are goats. Sheep go, yes, okay? Here's the reality. If you make pursuing God what the most important part of your life is, that I may know him, the other things will, will happen. He'll guide you. You see, if you shoot, if you shoot for heaven, earth gets thrown in. This is what C.S. Lewis said. But if you shoot for the earth, you lose it all. And too many of us have been shooting in the wrong direction. And I'm telling you, if you shoot for him, he's going to take care of the rest. And lastly, the ultimate end, what was the result? An end to their captivity, a return to divine destiny. For these people, it was restoration to their land. For us, it's seeing God's glory and power return to His church and making us a voice and influence and an impact upon our culture at large. For you and me, our hope is in Him. He's our home. He's the one who restores us from exile. If you're here today and you feel lonely, out of place, like you don't really have a home, you don't have relationships, like where you are, even the city you're in, the job you're in, if it feels like everything's out of place, you're experiencing exile, and Jesus Christ has the answer for you. It's not going to be found in you getting the right job or the right relationship. It's going to be found in Him. He is home.